Hi, I'm John. And I'm Cecilia. Welcome to Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks. Hey, Crazy Cats. Welcome back to another episode of Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks. So, do you remember when you were younger and you would go camping with your parents or your friends, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts? I remember. Sitting out in the middle of the woods and you have to light a campfire. It's required, right? Uh, marshmallows on a stick over the open fire. But what's the one thing, the one thing that always made a campfire? Ghost stories. Ghost stories. Ghost stories about somebody escaped asylums with a hook and ghost stories, people hanging from the trees and people seeing the woman in white. Machetes. Machetes. Always machetes, right? It's always machetes. And then you always had that one jerk of a friend who'd come up behind you and touch you in the middle of all this and make you jump and scream. And it was fun and it was scary and it was creepy, but we've got something to make it even creepier. We have true paranormal ghost stories from real people who have decided to come on the show and share what they have with you. So sit back, relax, grab your marshmallow on a stick, grab a friend, and let's hear what our guests have to say. And it looks like we have another caller on the line. Hey caller, why don't you tell us who you are and where you're from? Hi, I'm Zach. I'm from uh, Austin, Texas. I hear Austin is a hopping place to be. It's it's great. I uh, I moved here uh, about fifteen years ago uh, from Philadelphia via quick quick stop in Orlando, and I never meant to spend any more than five years here. And uh, you know, seventeen, eighteen years later, um, oh, how long? I don't know. The timeline <laughs> gets fuzzy. Um, yeah. You know, I can't leave it. I can't leave it. It's like we're talking to ourselves because. Pretty much. We we stumbled upon Austin about 16, 17 years ago by way of New York. So, hi, neighbor. Oh. <laughs> On both ends. <laughs> hey, how are tri-state neighbors? Yeah. yeah. Tri-state and Austin neighbors. Awesome. Now, you were in the military, weren't you? I was in the Air Force uh, from 1997 until about 60, I want to say not about, exactly 63 days before September 11th, 2004. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they get, they called me on September 12th and said, there's going to be a call back. And I'm like, well, I grew my hair out and I've just been smoking a ton of dope, but y'all can come get me anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so they never called back. Um, so, uh, I missed, I missed out on that one. Thank, thank goodness. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service. Yes. I appreciate that. The the little funny, dumb thing I like to say when people thank me, and I, I honestly do appreciate it. If it wasn't for the military, I don't think I'd be who I am today. But anytime somebody thanks me, I'm like, no, 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 it was Clinton administration. It really wasn't that big a deal. Everything was totally cool. Um, everything, you know, the world was still regular. It wasn't, it wasn't nuts yet. So yeah. Th- Things that didn't quite explode yet. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, yeah. You know, we, we were, I was in during Y2K, and even the the government took it very seriously. Oh yeah. Uh, we were all on this, this lockdown alert, getting ready for all this chaos. <laughs> and afterwards we're like, well, this, this was just the dumbest thing ever. That wasn't was a it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even if the people in charge were thinking it was going to happen, like, <laughs> and it wasn't anything. We woke up the next morning and everything and, worked. Yeah. You had, you had to go to work. <laughs> I had my 65 Mustang at the ready. It was going to start and run oh. if it was one of the few cars on the road in New York. <laughs> it didn't oh, wow. have any chips in it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it doesn't, does it? I, I didn't even want. think about that. Yeah. Yep. 
So, do you still have that car? I do. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, he he's got it. He's got it tucked away nicely in the garage, so I can't park my car in there. Well, that's where antiques go in the garage. <laughs> well, in that case, I guess we got to go live in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> so, your time in the Air Force, you've had some experiences. Am I correct? Yeah. So I, uh, I'll just hop right into it. I worked on a very old airframe called the the C one forty one Starlifter. Um, and just to give an example, it doesn't look so much like the regular airplane you fly on. It's much, much more tubular and the wings come off the top of the jet, almost like a condor or some sort of bird instead of the wings coming off the bottom. Um, awesome jet. It's used for all sorts of, of cargo missions. Transport, yeah. Um, transport. I did a lot of troop drop stuff in it. It's an older airframe. The first one, and I hope I'm not screwing this up. All you older vets out there, please don't email these fine people with a whole bunch of, <laughs> you know, there's those people out there that'll do that. Uh, but I think the first one was was the first one was made in 1961. So they were heavily, heavily used uh, in the Vietnam era. The biggest jet the Air Force had for cargo during the Vietnam era. Uh, and it was the biggest cargo jet they had up until the C-5 was made in, I think, 1980 or 81, which is a ridiculously, you know, like the Spruce Goose style. Yeah, it's a monster. Stupid yeah. airplane. It's so crazy. The whole nose cone opens up. You can drive a tank straight through the belly of it. It's, it's a wild thing. And it breaks almost every time it lands. Um, you know, like Refrigerator Perry. You know, I think he, he said somewhere that he broke something almost every time he fell down out on the field. Uh, yeah. But the jet I worked on, C-141, uh, was used heavily during Vietnam, and I worked exclusively at night uh, my whole time in. And I just want to the, paint the picture for you for just to, just to set the mood. You were uh, in rural New Jersey. You're on a runway far, far, far from anything or anyone. It is the middle of the night. And my job in, on that jet, I was called a crew chief just really a glorified gas station attendant. But I, I would go and make sure it was fueled up. I would run checks and tests on all the different systems and do all these things. But before the jet is powered on, it is eerily silent out there. And you hear a lot of creaks and a lot of moans on that jet. And, you know, in the wee hours, the mind can play some tricks on you. So it's hard to, like, you know, justify... Uh, uh, the paranormal when you're trying to tell your 19-year-old self that still gets spooked out every now and again, you know, what's this or what's that. But uh, specifically, I'm going to talk about two experiences. The first one, I do not remember the tail number, and that information specific to the next story. Um, but I was out late uh, on a jet that was uh, on a runway hotel. And that is the furthest jetway out from any of the buildings. We're talking about a mile and a half. Oh, wow. I am completely alone. No no one's surrounding me. Three in the morning. So I'm doing my checks, and part of the checks is comm checks. And as I'm on the comm, going through my stuff in the middle of the night, it's a delicate whisper. And it's intelligible, but I'm listening, and I'm like, no, no, that's whatever. You know, you do the whole thing where you pull the headphones off, you look around, <laughs> you put the headphones back on, you keep going. And it's like almost like static, but it, it had a rhythm to it uh, that wasn't a more of a vocal rhythm than just your, your average uh, background noise on a very old aircraft. It was coming through the air, not through the headset? 
No, through the headset. Oh, through the headset. Okay. Through the headset. Yeah. So um, I'm finishing my checks up, and uh, I'm starting to shut the jet down. Shutting the jet down, now the jet is completely silent. And I'm not hearing anything on the headsets anymore. Take them off. I step down. Jet is completely black inside. And I feel I am being looked at, stared at intently. Now, the jet is, I'm going to, I hope I get this right. From where you come out of the cockpit to the very end of the tail is 43 feet. You know, a decent amount of, of, of footage, you know, for an airplane that, that, that size. Um, and at the very back of the jet is where somebody called the loadmaster would sit. And the loadmaster is a person that opens the back doors and lets all the crazy people jump out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> yeah. And as, as I'm standing there, uh, I look and I'm shining my flashlight around. And as I shine it from one side to the other, I don't see anything at the comm until the flashlight kind of just leaves the comm station, and I go back, and I turn the flashlight off, and the back doors are open, and there is a silhouette of a man. Oh. Full-on, I don't want to say full-body apparition. I do want to say definitely full-on shape and shadow of, of a man standing back there. I call out twice, no movement, just staring at me. Leave my flashlight off. I take about five steps, and it's it's like it was never there to begin with. Wow. And uh, I packed up my tools. <laughs> I called my supervisor. I uh, did, did not mention this to anyone uh, in any sort of command position. Uh, definitely all my buddies. And then once once you start telling the buddies uh, in, in the shop, all the old timers start coming around and be like, oh, yeah, that jet definitely has stuff going on with it. I've seen the same thing, blah, 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 that whole thing. So several of these aircraft are absolutely haunted. And the second one I wanted to tell a little more extensively, and I remember the tail number of this jet. And the tail number is a number you see on every aircraft, Mm -hmm. on military aircraft. The first two numbers are the year it was made, and then the second number is a serial number. This jet was 650156. When you walk into this jet, the door that goes to the steps that leads up to the cockpit has emblazoned stenciled on it the Ghost Rider because this jet is notorious for being haunted in many ways. Tools would straight up be in a different place than you left it. Just You could turn your back and a screwdriver would be six, seven inches away from where you left it. It's not rolling. The wind's not blowing it. Uh, straight up moved um, or just lost a tool you just laid down lost. Um, it would break often in flight specifically in flight the, the, in flight. It would, it would happen a lot and it didn't make sense. There's a very simple seal and this sounds silly, but it's the toilet in that jet. There's a very simple seal. They rarely ever, ever give up, right? They're, they're some of those seals, were probably 25, 30 years old on those jets before they were made to be uh, replaced because it is a nightmare getting to the seal. Three times in the three years that I worked on this aircraft, three times it's happened in flight, which is just abnormal to say the least. Uh, I would have engine problems in flight. 
Um, it would be missing bolts you swear <laughs> you put in, and all kinds of things. But the, the most uh, disturbing thing, and I'll tell you one of the reasons everyone believes this jet was haunted, it was one of the aircraft that was used to bring bodies back from Jonestown, flown into Dover Air Force Base in Delaware from um, Guyana. So there was always a creepy, creepy vibe on this aircraft because those poor people uh, and the way they perished uh, is, is unimaginable, really. Yeah. Yes. So you have to assume you load 30 or 40 bodies that, that left this plane of existence in that way. There's some sort of magnetism that's going to hold on to that thing. So one of the maintenance things we do with jet aircraft is what we call an engine run, where we're, we're literally run an engine to its fullest max capacity while still sitting on the ground. You literally have to use these 200-pound chains, and you chain the aircraft to the ground yeah, to so these anchors that go into the concrete by 15 feet. Go ahead, John. You just run one at a time, right? Like that? No, you run all four, baby. Oh, wow. That's an all incredible four amount of force. That's It's an incredible amount. It's also incredibly loud um, just sitting on... Uh, is sitting there. And those are um, jet jets. So, those aren't turboprops. Those are jets. <laughs> no, these are, they're actually, they're turbo jets. Uh, they're General Electric turbo jet. I don't remember the full name because it's been 20 years or okay. so. So they are the combo. So it's been 20 years exactly uh, <laughs> since I got out. Uh, yeah, they're the combo. Okay. So there were five of us. It takes five people to run, run jets on there. You need three people, I'm sorry, six people. You need three people outside watching wings, watching the, the engines, and you need three people inside, one at the front, uh, the guy actually running the jet. You need a standby guy, which was me, the kid, and you need somebody sitting at the uh, flight engineer position while they run these up and down. And we're doing this for a while, up and down, up and down, going on for about 30 minutes. It's just incredibly loud, like I said. And then we start to hear straight-up hissing almost like screaming. Um, and we, we all kind of look at each other as it's happening. Cause this isn't the normal sound you get. And the fact that we could hear it now, it's some could say it might've been ear fatigue. And the six of us will tell you to this day, that was not ear fatigue. There was some sort of presence that was coming through once again, through the calm. There was this darkness that really just like, kind of drained us all. We didn't see anything. It was a feeling, and we could hear like this ah, kind of yeah. sound yeah. coming in over the comm line. Really affected us, uh, all of us, very, very much for days. Um, I can only imagine. And, uh, well, yeah, and it, it, it was... I did, not, I did not like going on that airplane. Going on the airplane by yourself was a literal nightmare. It, you were just had bad vibes. Like you were hated to whatever was there, hated that you hated you or hated that you were there the whole time you were on that airplane. And if you're out there alone, it was triple, you know, the feeling. Oh, man. And if one, one or two people heard it, then I could see a case for ear fatigue. But you're saying all six of you heard it. All six of us absolutely heard it. Yeah. Absolutely. We, we smoked all ex- many cigarettes and talked about it afterwards. <laughs> yeah. How long did it last? Was it like a, a split second? Did it last like a little bit? It was that, that last whole 
engine run, and uh, it, usually engine runs are anywhere between 15 and 30 seconds. But it was by the wow. time we got to the tip top, we heard it, and it was not your. It was there was no way that that sound was. It wasn't interference. It wasn't any of that. Uh, if it was interference, it would have lingered on after we're on comms, after the engines get turned back down. That wasn't it. It couldn't be recreated. Yeah. And we definitely did not put it in our logs. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, they, the, the military doesn't mess around when they think you're, you've gone a little goofy. No, uh, not at all. <laughs> well, here's, no. here's what's interesting is we do get stories, quite a few. We hear quite a few stories from folks in the military. And they, they all say the same thing you just said, that, um, nope, did not go in our report for the night <laughs> kind of thing. No. Does the military really frown that strongly on paranormal experiences? I don't think it's that they frown on it, because obviously they deal with UFOs and people seeing them all the time. But um, uh, what I think it is, is it's, it's more of an appearance thing. Okay. So say you had a troop that was saying he saw something paranormal. And sure, all right, perhaps you did, perhaps you didn't. All it takes is for that one time for that same troop to go hurt someone. Mm. And now every troop that mentions paranormal has to be looked at with that same sort of scrutiny as right. the one time the one troop that mentioned it went and did something actually off-kilter, like hurt somebody or hurt themselves. You know, I think it's, I hate to say it, it's really more of a bureaucracy <laughs> look at it than any sort of anything else, like uh, paperwork. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. It's kind of, it's kind of like when they list the side effects to medications. Right. And they have to list oh, yeah. every side effect anybody reports, whether it's actually from the medication or not, they have to list it as a potential side effect. So if somebody Absolutely. in their test group has a cold. All the cold symptoms go into the All the cold symptoms have to go into the, <laughs> legally have to go into it. So it seems like it's, it's like the same thing. They kind of kind of have to cover their butt that way. <laughs> Just CYA. In case. CYA. Yep. First rule in business. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Wow. Did you guys finish your shift that night? Oh, yeah, for sure. This was back in the day. We had this, uh, actually, it was the greatest work shift I ever had. It was two on, three off, three on, two off, 12-hour shifts. So every other weekend was a three-day weekend. Now, it might have been, you might have been a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday weekend, but it was still a three-day weekend. So, you know, we worked from from 8 p.m. until 8 a.m. And in rural southern New Jersey, you know, 4 a.m. in January is a cold, yes, it is. bitter place. Oh, yes. <laughs> especially, especially standing on a runway, and then you're sitting on a haunted jet on top of that. It's just kind of like, I, I could think some of those, probably my lo- most lonely times of my life are like waiting for that supervisor truck to come pick me up. I'm just standing there freezing. Oh, yeah, they take you out a, there and leave you for dead, basically. <laughs> and, oh, absolutely. <laughs> come you, are later. you are left. I had to do an inspection of a vacant manufacturing facility in New Jersey. Giant plant where they built, at one time, they they designed and built these machines that wrapped the saran wrap on the meat at at, uh, Butcher's, like at the grocery store. That was their whole deal. Yeah. And this thing was acres and acres inside, and it was completely abandoned and shut down. And some other person was looking to to lease it, and they hired us to go uh, evaluate the HVAC on the building. And they literally did oh, that. Wow. They took me there, dropped me off, <laughs> unlocked the That's door. Worse. Oh man! And I was in this gigantic cavernous place with all these relics. Like it's like they picked up and left, like immediately. 
the, the staplers like, were, were on on desks and special hand tools were lying on benches and it was the eeriest. How, how long would it have, how long do you think it had been abandoned? Uh, probably two or just two or three years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and the building was probably the facility was probably built in the late seventies, early eighties, and I don't know who all had occupied it up to that point, but judging by the HVAC equipment, it was early eighties. Um, huh. And I mean, it, this thing went on forever, and I was literally all alone—not even a vehicle, not even a cell phone back then. Um, I think I remember this. You oh, had to go at night, right, to walk the building? It wasn't night. It, luckily, it was day. But it, I mean, I was literally all alone. If I had fallen off the roof or anything, there was no way. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh yeah. But it was spooky. It's wild what we used to all get away with before we could get a hold of everyone all the time. Like, yeah. there are the times where I'm like, I just want to leave my phone at home, and I want to go somewhere for two days. But then there's that time where it's like, oh, thank God I had this phone in my pocket. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, know, you know. More often than not, uh, it seems. Oh, man. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I do, awesome. I do miss it's, those days, though. But since, since we're on a paranormal podcast, by the way, no offense to anyone out there, but having a paranormal podcast with the uh, prefix of 666 is pretty sweet. Was that on purpose? Uh, it, yes. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, was a number that, it was a number they offered us, and I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, we snagged three 666 prefixes. Oh, uh, that's awesome. You know, I feel like all the cell phone technology is, is what, I think it's what keeps folks from really seeing beyond the veil. You know, I... Those experiences I had in the Air Force, I never really had too much other than that, than a a feeling here and there. But I feel like with all the the information literally flying through the air, I think it kind of blocks off this other, you know, perception sense that humans had for so long. Just like when the hair stands up on the back of uh, of your, on your arms, the, the back of your neck, like that's a real and very ancient thing that that humans have and i think yeah a lot of the times you know we're not paying attention to that already because it's so much we're in a technicolor nightmare nowadays but i i think that uh, uh, we're missing out on on a lot of stuff that's happening around us and i think it's getting blocked out by this stuff and i know that's a little tinfoil hattie but you I know i'll, I'll so. go there sometimes i i actually agree with you on that um usually when i walk into a place i'm i'm a little bit sensitive stuff like this. So when I walk into a place, I can usually get more from what I feel and what I sense. But I think, I think with all the technology and and it's wonderful, right? It's wonderful to have all that information at your fingertips, but I think you're right. It's blocking out our basic senses. Everybody is relying so heavily on this electronic equipment, right? They're relying on their cell phones and they're relying on what they catch on video and, does the, does the REM pod go off? I'm going to be honest. We've done a bazillion investigations. I have never had a REM pod go off. <laughs> not, not that couldn't right. be explained by another Yeah, not, not that couldn't be explained by a cell phone or a walkie or right. something like that. Right, um, but pe- but that's there, there's a whole school of younger generation that that's the only thing that they, they believe. It's all they know. It's, it's all, all they've they ever know. known. And I think you're 100% yeah. correct. I, I put a challenge out there for people who do investigations to leave the technology in the car and just go walk yeah. the building. That's at, the f- at least for a certain period of time. Yeah, because that's the first thing I'll do. I won't let anybody tell me anything. I won't let anybody talk to me. The very first thing I will do is just walk the building. Yeah. 
with John running after me saying, you know, be careful. Don't walk there. Watch where you're going. That's awesome. You guys, that's awesome. You guys do that. That's really cool. Uh, I don't think I could ever get my wife to do this. She won't, she won't watch any scary movies with me or anything. And I, I only like scary movies about like true hauntings. Like I won't watch it unless I think there's even some inkling of this might come from like a true story or something, you know, stuff like that. Have you heard about the new documentary that was just released this week? No. It's called The Sleepless Unrest. And basically, um, two producers and two paranormal investigators spent two weeks at the house that the Conjuring films are based on. Oh, the, the one Conjuring. in Rhode Island. Yes, the actual mm-hmm. Conjuring house. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Bathsheba house. Yeah. Yeah, and they, them and the owners, they spent two weeks together in the house documenting things that went on. And oh, wow. This is day and night, 24-7. Day and night, 24-7. <laughs> they stayed in this house. <laughs> um, the two investigators were from A&E's version of Ghost Hunters. Yeah. And the two producers, uh, actually Vera was a paranormal investigator for a long time uh-huh. before her and, and Kendall met, but the two producers, they did the House in Between documentary, which was a big, huge hit on the house in Mississippi. So I didn't see that one. I got to watch these documentaries. They're really good. Oh my god, we got to. I can't say that, can I? Yeah, we got to investigate the house and from the house. Oh wow! Between, yeah, we, I don't know about. I don't know about this house in Mississippi. Oh, it's something else. The owner, uh, she won't stay there anymore. She's vacated. She's vacated. For the last oh 10 my years. gosh! Yeah. See, the, when I hear pe- when I hear stories of like, oh, they just straight up left their furniture in the house, moved out. I'm like, yo, that's. Yo, that's the real deal right She'll there. She'll go there and everything, but she won't stay. She doesn't live there anymore. Oh, wow. Does you see, yeah, that's the same thing. To me, it's like, oh my gosh, that's, I'm getting goosebumps because I just love those stories. Oh, you'll love this. Yeah, so so watch, okay. watch the house in between and watch Sleepless Unrest just came out. It's the same producers. Um, wow. Yeah, wow. Both, both those places are really legit places. So if you're looking for something kind of scary, I will tell you that the sleepless unrest, yeah, I think I can say this. They were talking about there was a lot of things, just like we were just talking about, that were feelings that were caught out of the corner of their eye. Right. Hair standing up kind of things that, you know, really don't make good television, basically. So they're not in the movie. But those are the things to pay attention to, right? You don't need to see something. Like, it's within us to know not good stuff is around just like a cat or a lizard or a fly. Like there's that sense that like you shouldn't, something doesn't want you here, you shouldn't be here. And I think people don't pay attention to that anymore. Yeah. But you go, go watch those and you will see a lot of, you'll, you'll see a lot of them sensing things. Although I know people will criticize, well, it's not the big bang that we're looking for. No, because that's not a true paranormal no. investigation. No, they did that. It was called the conjuring. They had to make stuff up and then that yeah. was your big bang. <laughs> yeah, listeners, if you don't know every single movie in the Conjuring franchise, for the the real the actual movies themselves, the the fiction movies I say fiction are based, and I'm using air quotes on true stories. Yeah, at least half of that stuff is made up, just just yeah, for, for film for sake drama. for yeah. drama. So when you go to look at a documentary, and it doesn't have the demon jumping out of the the stairwell <laughs> at you because yeah. They're showing you a real investigation as opposed to a Hollywood investigation. I'm just saying. Right. That's me. Yeah. That's me on my my little soapbox here. <laughs> <laughs> and Patrick Wilson looks 
uh, nothing, nothing like the uh, the guy he portrays. No, <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. That's funny. That's funny. Well, I had I had one more quick tale, and oh, awesome. it's not a it's not it's not a military one. And I know you stipulated that it needs to be something I experience. And I, I if I can, I'd just like to throw it in because. I, I work in the event industry. I, I do uh, mainly concert lighting now. Back in the day, I did a lot of weddings when I was starting out. And one of the places I would do wedding lighting was the main second floor event floor of the Driscoll Hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, if you're from Austin, uh, you know about it. And if you're, if you're into haunts and you haven't read anything about the Driscoll uh, folks out there that are listening, check it out because it is. Probably the most haunted place uh, in Austin, except for maybe Shoal Creek, uh, where the Indian Massacre was, but um, it's great. So, being in the event industry, I spent a lot of time in a lot of places in the wee hours, specifically that 2 to 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, veil hours, I'll call them. Um, Now, this did not happen to me, although I had heard bumps and seen things in the shadows in the corner and things there at the Driscoll. But um, to me, I I don't know if it's a famous story, but I've heard other people speak of this about a woman in a a dress that walks through this second floor area where all the ballrooms are. Well, I have a good friend. His name is Mike, and he was working on a crew with me, and we were there at 3 in the morning unloading stuff. And he was over by the Jim Hogg room. The Jim Hogg room is a creepy little room where I definitely saw a shadowy thing next to a lamp uh, once. But it was a room where uh, back when uh, Colonel Commodore Driscoll, whatever his name was, he was a Confederate. I'm not too concerned how he made it out. Uh, um, but this is where this is where he would you know, play poker. He was a notorious gambler, notorious gambler. And this room was where he would play po- poker. And it's a very creepy vibey room it's a very small room uh very victorian antebellum era which if, if you're into 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 that aesthetic that's fine it's not for me um but then just off of that is this grand balcony looks over sixth street so mike was taking a break uh and just kind of sitting in a chair relaxing and then he smelled perfume and then to this day he sees he doesn't like to tell the story. I get goosebumps. I never saw it. This is just him telling the story. A woman in a black and white polka dot dress walks right by him and walked right through the doors. And he got up and he left. <laughs> he called me walking down the sixth street. And he's like, man, I had to go. Had some come up. And I was like, well, you're kind of leaving me shorthanded. He's like, blah, blah. And the next day he told me what happened. I was like, wow, buddy. Yeah. That's wild. Like, I'm still super pissed at you, but that is I don't wild. blame you for leaving. I had to tear all that down myself, but I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, he, was, he has not stepped foot back in that hotel. We were really? just there, what, four weeks ago? We, yeah, we were just there uh, a few weeks ago. At the Driscoll, and yeah, there was some creepy stuff. It wasn't going those on. hours, though. It was it was more the prime evening. Yeah, it was. Me, it was eight pretty o'clock, active. Eight o'clock, eight thirty. It yeah. was still active. Even still, I hate to say it, but you know, some foul stuff went on there mm-hmm. when that place first opened. And the, oh, and the, any the, hotel the gentleman that, that time. Ran, yeah, absolutely. All kinds of yeah. debauchery. And with all those mm-hmm. tunnels running around under the city and stuff, it was just. Oh yeah! Yikes! Yep. Yikes! <laughs> yeah. You know, we've gone. We've investigated and, some places that were uh, former brothels and and hotels and 
things like oh. hostels and things like that. And uh, it seems like just the activities that went on there, the murdering of illegitimate children to hide their origins, oh. you know, oh. just terrible, terrible, heinous things. Just the, oh, my gosh. You know, as much as people complain online, we are literally in the best, safest time that humans have ever lived in. You know, like I oh, try yeah. to keep that in perspective. Especially that in our we're all like, especially, you know, like uh, and, uh, appendicitis for someone in my socioeconomic demographic 100 years ago was a death sentence. Now it's outpatient. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my father almost died from that in the 60s. Right, exactly. And he was left permanently disabled from it. Oh my God! Appendectomy. Yeah. And that wow. was just fifty years ago. Yeah, I know. I didn't well, know that. Shoot, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe fifty-five, sixty years ago. Now I keep forgetting what year it is. <laughs> yeah, they, they get they only go faster, my friend. <laughs> I have a whole other theory on that, but I, I think that requires um, the devil's lettuce for me to really go in depth on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I haven't heard but, uh, that expression yeah, those, in a long time. <laughs> those are my uh, my tales of spookiness. Those were awesome tales of spookiness. Good. I'm glad. I was a little worried that they weren't they weren't up to snuff because I was listening to some of the episodes. I'm like, whoa, that's some spooky stuff. <laughs> so, Zach, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories. Wow, that's awesome. This this has been great. This has been great. Yes, but. Before we go, I understand you have your own podcast. I do. It is not nearly as good or wholesome as your podcast. Um, I, am the, I am one of three co-hosts for a podcast called Life Wine Podcast. It's me and two lovely ladies, and what we do is, it's a simple formula, we get shithoused and review Lifetime movies to comedic effect. <laughs> nice. I love this. Um, <laughs> um, I will say it is uh, quite NSFW. Um, <laughs> Lifetime so if, if, if you're at work, keep the earbuds on, and if your kid's in the car, you know, just like explain to them that you know this isn't how all mommies and daddies talk. Um, <laughs> but the, I would I would listen to it with you getting the car. So. And, <laughs> um, and listeners, we're going to have a link to this podcast in the show notes, so you can click on it yeah. and see what it's all about. If you dare, yeah, we have a lot of fun. We got a uh, seventy seventy eight episodes out oh, I believe number. and then um, you know we got about a dozen or more Patreon episodes where we do Ooh. we review actual good movies um, for the Patreon folks and uh, you know we have a silly silly little fun time I'll do some characters and stuff uh, I like to I do uh, stand up comedy here and there uh, Zach Boswell and then if, if you're local in Austin, uh, and if you don't mind Cecilia throw up a link for this it's my Instagram I have a little recording studio it's a demo room if uh, people have a song idea, but they don't own nice preamps or they need to use a synth or, you know, uh, some nicer uh, guitar stuff, uh, my room is, is open for four and eight hour blocks just to, to come and work your ideas out. And I'll give you the, I'll give you the stems, the masters, and you can take it to a real studio and, and, and get something done after that. So That is very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. This has been great. Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome. This is a pleasure. You have a wonderful afternoon. Yes, thank you. You too. Thank you, guys. Bye. Hey, we have another caller on the line. Hey, caller, tell us who you are and where you're from. Hey, guys. My name is Mark, and I am from Austin. I've been here, I want to say, 25 or 26 years. Are you native to Austin or Texas? I am not. Grew up in Arizona, Tucson specifically. 
spent my youth and formative years there, uh, but got to Austin roughly about 1995. Okay, I was going to say, you don't really have uh, a Texas accent. You've, you've got more of a desert accent, and I was just trying to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess people say I've got some sort of accent, or people from Texas can hear that from people that are uh, from other states, but being from there, I would have no clue. But See, you sound like you don't have an accent at all. But I'm from the southern New Mexico desert, so we oh. probably have the same accent, which is why. <laughs> I'm from New York where everybody has an accent. So yeah, including okay. you. Including <laughs> me. <laughs> so you have a slightly different story than what people have been telling us, I believe. Yes. You want to you wanna let us in on this? Sure. Um, mine is about what I would call a UFO, or possibly two. A bit of background, uh, when I was younger... Growing up in Tucson, I was a musician, and I was so in Austin for a short time until I realized how much better everybody is here than me, and that quickly dashed my dreams, so to speak. But I was playing in a band that had based um, themselves out of Tucson, and we had always thought that it was part of our future to move to a larger uh, music scene than what we had been in. And one of the band members had some experience being in Austin. Everybody at that time knew, you know, what Austin, what the reputation was here in Austin. And uh, we decided to, as a band, come out and visit. And we all piled, at some point, we all piled into uh, the one band member's truck. And um, two in front, two in back. Um, the back was outfitted with, you know, blankets and stuff so that people could snooze and just relax. But uh, we drove out to Austin, um, stayed with a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. Everybody who's ever been a musician knows that story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, um, you know, just checked out the town and checked out 6th Street, which um, at that time was, um, you know, still almost entirely devoted to, you know, venues and music. And we you know, popped our heads in and out of, you know, various bars and listened to a bunch of different bands. And I think we saw, I think at that time, like we just happened to pop in to see a Joe Rockhead show. I don't know how, how well everybody remembers Joe Rockhead. John is nodding. John's a musician, so gotcha. he, he understands everything you're saying. Gotcha. <laughs> I, I want to say it was one of Bob Snyder's earliest, earlier projects. Um, so um, I could be wrong on that, but that's my suspicion, and it was quite a while ago. Anyway, um, getting getting back to the story, um, one of the one of the band members also had a friend up in Dallas that he wanted to swing by and see before we went back to uh, to, to Tucson. So we took the trip from Austin up to Dallas, and I think we just spent a day in Dallas out out by the lake or something. Um, and the plan was just to, you know grab a few hours sleep in the late evening early night and take off into the um, darker hours because it was it was pretty hot at that point. We were um, visiting Texas in the middle of summer and we wanted to get as many miles under our belt as we could while it was still cool and while the sun wasn't, you know, killing us and because the truck that we were in did not have air conditioning. Oh, yeah, that's Ooh, a big factor. Yes. yes, exactly. So your very typical um, poor musician story. So we were, we had left Dallas, and we're traveling through what everybody knows as West Texas, and um, we were out in the middle of you know nowhere, somewhere past Odessa. I I want to think, I want to say, but we had not yet um, hooked back up with. Uh, I believe we were on I twenty, 
Now we yeah, it on a converged with I ten yet. Right, exactly. I I I believe we were still on, on I twenty, not not yet got to I ten. We may have been on one of the smaller roads, I can't remember exactly, but me and the bass player were just up in the front of the cab. The bass player was driving, I was in the passenger seat and we were just, you know, talking about whatever, you know, twenty something young musicians talk about at that time. Um, and I looked off to the right and I saw two groups of lights that were, uh, that appeared to be stationary in the sky and or traveling the exact same speed as the truck. Hmm. Um, and at first I didn't think it was a real big deal because, you know, you see, it's so dark out there. You see every star and, you know, every, you know, plane that's in the sky and everything in, in the sky is, you know, fairly clear because it's, it's dark. There's no cities out there. There's no light pollution. There's no air pollution. There's no humidity. You can see everything very, very well. And was this out the, out your, the passenger side of the truck? Correct. I was looking out the passenger side window mm-hmm. when I saw these two groups of lights. So the first thing that struck me was, was how they appeared to be stationary relative to the vehicle. Um, like if we were doing 65 miles an hour, they weren't moving any, they weren't, they weren't moving past us. We weren't moving past them. They appeared to just be keeping pace with the uh, vehicle. Um, and the second thing that I noticed was were the um, the lights that were that were flashing on. I don't want to call it a, a a a vehicle or an object, but there were patterns of lights that were in the sky that were unlike what you'd expect to see on, say, like an aircraft. Like uh, on a passenger plane, you've got the lights on the on the wings and they're a specific color and they flash out a specific rate. Right. And you've got the lights on the, uh, the uh, tail, which are a specific color and they flash out a specific rate. Mm-hmm. Same thing for, for the nose, same thing for underneath the, uh, the body of, of the plane, things that we're all accustomed to seeing. Whereas these lights, these two groups of, of lights, the, 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 how can I put this? Um, the colors in the colors of the lights that I saw flashing were rotating. Um, so it wasn't like there was one spot that was always red. Right. Unlike an airplane that's oriented a certain way, the red would always be on that side and the green would always be on that side. Exactly. Exactly. These, these, the, the colors were, were shifting. They were rotating. They would sometimes flash red, sometimes blue. Um, it, it, it just wasn't like anything that I had ever really, before and it didn't also like the uh, the light pattern didn't look like um, you would see on a plane where there'd be like like a triangle pattern like a nose a tail and two wings it, it, it wasn't it wasn't like that it was a very different shape and somewhat uh, perhaps hexagonal um, but certainly not the traditional diamond shape of lights that you'd see on um, on an aircraft so I brought this to the uh, uh, bassist's attention, who was of course driving at the time, and and I, and I was like, check these lights out out here. This is really strange. And we just continued down the highway for what appeared to be a few minutes, and the lights just sort of hung out exactly where we were. We never got past them. They never got past us. Um, they just hung out there um, to the right of the truck the entire time, just flashing and just keeping pace. Um, and I started to get, I brought it up to the, uh, basis that, that these lights weren't like lights I'd, I'd expect to see on a plane. 
that these look like something different or the shape wasn't anything that I recognized as, I don't know, aircraft. And he noticed the same thing. Um, and so we just, we just kept watching them for what seemed to be a few minutes. And then the, the second and last thing that, or I guess the, the third and last thing that really struck me was when the lights left. Left? Um, they're, yeah, they left, they went away. Um, and they left in, um, in, um, they left at a speed that, that didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. Like when a plane takes off from an airport, there's a great deal of time where it, where it goes from zero and it accelerates up to flight speed. Or if it, you know, if, if, if a plane is accelerating in the air, it takes a while, you know, it's, it takes a while. Whereas, um, the lights that we were seeing took off in unison and it went and it looked to me like they went from exactly where they were in the sky to blindingly fast in the snap of a finger. Like the acceleration wasn't even there. They went from stationary. Right. In one second, it was one thing and one second, it was entirely different velocity. Exactly. Exactly. Like they just, they were, they were in full motion with no detectable acceleration whatsoever. Um, they just went from standing still to, you know, light speed. Um, and after that point, we never saw them again. Did they go up in a way or did they go at a, like horizontally away? It was more of like, it wasn't exactly horizontally and it wasn't directly, um, up into the sky. Like, uh, it wasn't not straight up. Correct. It, it, it wasn't straight up. I'd say they, that they took off at a 30, 45 degree angle to the, uh, horizon. Um, but it was definitely up. So in 1987 in Toya, Texas, between Pecos, Texas and the convergence of I-20 and I-10, I saw the exact same thing, Mark. (laughs) That's crazy. And that's amazing. I hadn't even thought about it in decades. And then I had no idea what your story was about (laughs) until you just told it. And I was on a trip with my father we were going to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania from Las Cruces, New Mexico with an empty trailer in the hopes of buying a 1942 Lincoln Continental that he wanted to restore. And it nice. got, the guy in Pittsburgh had one. And we stopped in Arlington and around Dallas and picked up a Mercedes that he had purchased sight unseen. And we delivered it to him with our trailer. And we ended up not buying the Lincoln. It was just a little bit too much rust for, for the project my father wanted to do. But anyway... We went on that road trip, and we were going the opposite direction, so we were heading east, and we had branched off on I-20 pretty late at night, and we're driving along, and I saw the same thing. It was two sets of lights. Like you said, the colors were moving in a pattern that was not like an aircraft, and they stayed relative to our truck the whole time that I saw them. What I did not see is I did not see their departure. So how far away wow. were you from where Mark's experience I was? I think in the same place. So you said you think you were still on I-20, but maybe he had already gotten on I-10? Uh, we were certainly not yet on I-10. Okay, um, but probably getting we pretty close. Probably pretty close. Yeah, um, that's right here. I, I believe on, on the way out, we took some sort of wrong turn and had to get off on one of the, one of the smaller two or four lane uh, roads. Yeah, like a little, a little town you might have turned off of 20 or something and had to pick up 10 from that road? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it, that's it, right it here. Was, 
Yeah, it it was way out, way out in what we all know is you know West Texas, which is the big empty. Oh yeah. Um, so basically, so. this is the area. So if they were he's, here, he's showing me on a map because I know nothing. If they took the wrong turn and were here and yeah. picked up ten here instead of intending to do this, we were going this direction, and I was in the passenger seat, and this is what I where I saw it, and that's where they saw it, and they were going this direction. He was in the passenger seat in the same area, and there's nothing there, right? No. There's nothing there. There's no, I mean, so look no- at the map. There's it's nothing like, there. <laughs> all right, listeners, listeners, John's pulled this up on a map, and he's showing me the map, and it looks like a West Texas Triangle. Yeah. We could call it the West Texas <laughs> the Triangle. The West Texas Triangle uh, of the unexplained here. Did anybody else, Mark, in the car get to see those lights? Just me and the bass player that was also in the front seat of the vehicle. The other two guys were in in back um, enjoying uh, cool air and uh, a nice rest. Um, so it was just me and uh, the bass player. Yeah, and listeners, we're looking at it at, on the map, and there's no military bases. There's no there's not even oil farming. wells. There's no farms. There's nothing. It's nothing. It is just literally, literally a big triangle of nothing. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. It's empty. <laughs> yep, it really is. Wait, we're going to have to get a picture of that so I can put it up on the on the page so the listeners can see the it. The Toya Triangle. Yeah. Is that what it's called? No, that's what oh. I'm calling it. <laughs> <laughs> I think Toya, Texas is where you turned off on the wrong road. Possibly. And uh, you might have stopped for something or whatever, and then when you got back going, you didn't. <laughs> you went a different way. <laughs> So did it affect your car yeah. at all? Was was there any problems no. with the car? Nothing. It didn't affect ours no. either. The, yeah, the the uh, truck ran um, just fine all the way out, all the way back, um, and um, all all it did was all the lights did was apparently keep keep um, keep its distance, keep uh, the pace that we did, and um, hang out for a few minutes and then take off. Yeah, that's was, about um, the right timing, too. It was a few minutes. Yeah. It's crazy that... And I looked away, and then when I looked back, they weren't there. I didn't see how they departed, but they certainly departed in a way other than an airplane would. Yeah, I yeah, I was uh, transfixed. I was a little... Um, I don't want to say I was uh, frightened, but I was certainly curious, and um, I was uh, a little bit suspicious of what was going on or <laughs> yeah. what I was looking at, and... I didn't want to take my eyes off it because I knew that, you know, no one's going to believe this story. It's just going to be me and, you know, this guy named John, and no one's going to buy it because it happened at, you know, whatever, 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, but I was glad that, that he saw it. And, Heat um, exhaustion in a truck with no AC in the summer. <laughs> That's what it was. It was, it was when, when we were that far out um, and the time it, it was, it was actually not that it was actually on the cooler side. Um, it was overnight. Um, you know, we're out again, out in the sticks. There's no heat from the, uh, from the buildings. It was actually pretty pleasant. Yeah. Um, and dry, we had, nice and dry and air, yeah. air moving good. Cause you're rolling along. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, nobody would, nobody would believe a story about West Texas and lights and, you know, that level of acceleration. And I mean, you're just, y'all are just four musicians and, no one can take your word for anything. So there's many people out there that live out there that have similar stories. Yeah. So that's crazy. John, what year were you and your dad? Eighty-seven. Eighty-seven. Mark, what year were you there? 
I'm going to guess that was 94. So you can't even say it's the same year, so something mm-hmm. going on in the same year. No, I think it's something about the area. And so you've yeah. got, there's something attractive to whatever this is. And then here's Marfa. Oh, yeah, Marfa. The, the Marfa lights are here. Yeah. There's the. Yeah, but you wouldn't see anything here. No, no, it's not the Marfa lights unless they move all the way up here at times. Uh-uh. But the Marfa lights don't have colored lights that alternate. Um, right. What I'm saying, if you look at the area. Please bear in mind our listeners can't look. Yeah. If you do look, <laughs> uh, look for Marfa, Fort Davis, Balmeray, and uh, Toya, Texas. Yeah, but none of that is here. Yeah, right here. Toya, okay. Balmeray. Here's the road I believe they were on, and here's the road I know we were on. And this is the area. And it is. It's a triangle. <laughs> the Toya yeah. Triangle. This, this is so cool. <laughs> this really is. So have you seen anything since? No. I've seen nothing of uh, real um, interest since. But that, you know, again, it was like, you know, John's story. This was 20-some-odd years ago, and never going to forget that. It's amazing. I had, I had, I hadn't forgotten it, but I hadn't thought of it in decades. Literally, I, I just wow. Nothing ever triggered me to, you know, spark that memory until your story, and then it was just like, my God, I realize I saw just what you're describing. And the the thing that really, besides the color of the lights and the pattern, was the fact that they were pacing our progress. And you know, we're going seventy yeah. miles an hour, sixty five, seventy. Yeah. And uh, they stayed in relative position to the truck. Perfectly, like they were locked to us. Mm-hmm. That's what first got my attention. Funny how you were in a truck as we were. Yeah, um, <laughs> except ours had air conditioning. Sure. <laughs> right, nice. nice. It didn't come with Over air conditioning. Fancy. We added it. <laughs> we made sure to nice. have air conditioning. <laughs> nice. So that's incredible. Yeah, that part of uh, West Texas is pretty empty. And if, you know, if there was ever a spot where Things like this could go unnoticed relatively. Yes. Um, yeah. It's West Texas. Yep. The thing that's really getting me is that it paced the trucks. That it stayed in lockstep with you guys, right? That mm-hmm. That's really what's blowing my mind. Because it's really hard to explain that away as something else. Mm-mm. Right. If you have the capability of going faster than the speed of light, why would you be going 65 miles an hour? <laughs> right. Exactly. And if you've got that level of tech, then why would you be messing with, I'm guessing, a 1986, you know, Chevy, you know, quarter ton pickup? Yeah. Driving down I-20 or wherever we were at. (laughs) Right. What was the point? What was the... What's the draw? Yeah. What's the draw? That's a good way of putting it. But you know what? If you think about a lot of the UFO sightings that have been reported, we talk to a lot of people who've had similar experiences, right? But it's never... It's always the question of why, right? It's always somebody who is somewhere kind of isolated. They're on a fishing trip with their buddies. They're driving down the road. Yeah, it's not, never, not around a military base a military or a base government or installation or a, yeah, something you'd think they'd be interested in. Yeah, and that's like everywhere around the world. So uh, that's a question that's just kind of sitting in my brain is, is the why. What, what are they getting out of that? Right, because you would think that if... <laughs> You know, if somebody was watching us or, you know, trying to learn from us, that they'd go someplace interesting like a big city or, um, you know, to our military establishments and not somewhere way out in the sticks, way out in the triangle, which is West Texas. Yeah. Um, 
but I mean, I can see it the other way. You know, if 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 someone is watching us and wants to learn but doesn't want to be noticed, that's those are the places that you go. I guess. Yeah. Um, given it, given the choices, those are the the top. But you top would tier. you would think if they didn't want to be noticed, they wouldn't do something so suspicious like following the car. <laughs> yeah, but only two guys saw it. Yeah, but yeah. two guys here, two guys there. Yeah, but not not you know two hundred and thirty thousand people at once or something. <laughs> True. I mean, did you have a were they were they thinking you had a pizza or donuts? I mean, <laughs> it's like... exactly. It's like um, you know what what could we possibly have to um, offer aside from well, this is how you know. This is how these people transport themselves in these little small boxes with, you know, wheels and, um, but they have to know that already. Like right. a, a human in the wild sighting. Yeah, that's what they want. They, they slowing down to take pictures <laughs> in their natural of, habitat. <laughs> Look, we caught humans in the wild. Exactly in their natural habitat. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe if I if I was on a safari and I saw a lion in the wild, I might. I, I can just hear now. Ladies and gentlemen, to the port side of the spacecraft, and you will now observe a 1987 86 <laughs> Chevrolet pickup in the wild, exactly roaming free exactly. natural habitat <laughs> somewhere in West Texas, which is its natural habitat, right? It's a pickup, that's where it's supposed to be. The Chevy pickup that's out in the desert. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll stop, I'll stop, I'll behave now, but. I love the story. Oh yeah, this, this is, is great. pretty cool. I especially love it because it you know hits home with me. That's that really was a surprise. And I did I not expect. Heard, I hadn't heard this story from you before. I hadn't thought of it since you and I've known each other. John and I've been together twenty five years, and I haven't heard this story wow. from him before. Yeah, I'm telling you, decades since I thought about it. I haven't thought about wow. it. Nothing, nothing came up to make me think about that. And look, now you got validation. You both have validation. Yeah, it's weird. Exactly, exactly. I was going to say it makes me feel less crazy that there's more than one person in the world to have had this experience. And, and in the, um, pretty much the same place. Same area, right? Yeah. Now, now we're right. going to have to go. Oof. Well, good, because Balmeray is right down the way. Well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say thank you very much for sharing your story and going off on tangents with us oh yes thank you that's okay <laughs> thank you so much and i'm uh i'm genuinely pleased to hear that somebody else has a similar story to mine because again um i might be crazy but that doesn't mean that my story isn't legitimate right exactly and i will tell you that we, we truly have talked to a lot of people um who've had similar experiences so you are not crazy on this I don't know about the rest of your life, but at least on this, you're not. <laughs> right. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, guys, for uh, letting me tell my story, and uh, you guys have a great night. You Our too. pleasure. You too. Bye. Awesome. Bye now. Hey, if you like what you hear, and how could you not? We are freaking adorable. Check us out as Crazy Cat Paranormal on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. The links will be in the show notes. <laughs>